You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. We are in part two of a three-week series talking about money. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about how we handle money, our relationship to money. So we ought to be talking about it in church. And I want you to realize this for a moment. This series isn't just about financial health or spiritual guidelines for handling money. It is about that. But I want you to think about it this way. It's really about discipleship. How we handle our finances has everything to do with following Jesus. In fact, Jesus talked more about how we handle our finances and our relationship to money than probably just about anything else. And so this has to do with loving God with every aspect of our being. And we want our finances to honor Him. And so today I want to talk to you about how Jesus calls us to let go of greed and to embrace generosity. Let me ask you this question. How many of you have discovered this, that when it comes to um, any kind of healthy change that you need to embrace in in your life, have you noticed that we tend to drift toward who we don't want to be, but you have to be really intentional about who you want to be? Are you tracking with me this morning? Like, let's say when it comes to getting in shape, how many of you have noticed that we drift toward getting out of shape, but you have to be intentional to stay in shape? Have you noticed that we drift toward gaining weight? you got to be intentional to lose weight. Don't you wish we lost weight as easy as we gained it? Can I get an amen, somebody? How many of you have noticed that we drift toward just binging Netflix and spending hours on social media, but you have to be really intentional to read really good books? We drift toward being overcommitted and overscheduled in our busy lives, but you have to be intentional to actually rest and take care of yourself. And the same thing is true when it comes to handling our money. If you're going to be generous instead of being greedy, you got to get really intentional. In fact, Jesus talked about this very thing. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture where Jesus addresses this topic. It comes from the Gospel of Luke chapter 12. Let me just set this up for you. Jesus is teaching to a very large crowd. And he's speaking specifically to his disciples, but he knows that there's a crowd of people who are listening in. So that's the context when he has this really interesting interaction with this one man in the crowd. Let's pick it up. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 15. Here's what it says. Someone in the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Notice Jesus' response. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So what's going on here? Well, according to the Old Testament law, you can read about this in Deuteronomy chapter 21. Um, the elder son was supposed to receive a double portion of the inheritance when his father passed away. The older son got a double portion compared to the younger son. And of course, younger sons didn't like that any more than they would like it today. <laughs> they, didn't, they weren't so happy about that rule. And so sometimes there were disputes that broke out around things like the inheritance. And often the people would go to the rabbis. They didn't go to a judge or to a lawyer. They went to the rabbis to settle these types of 
disputes. Now, this man is used to hearing Jesus talk about money. He's used to hearing Jesus talk about generosity. And he's kind of having this moment where he's like, Jesus, tell my brother to listen to the sermon. Come on, how many of you have ever been in church before and you were listening to a message and you're like, I know somebody who needs to hear this message. You wanted to just like text them, like you need to be watching the live stream right now. Like, let me just put this on speakerphone. Like this message is for you. Have you ever had one of those moments? That's what's going on here. And notice how Jesus responds with a warning in verse 15. He says, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. You see, the thing is, the thing about greed is no one plans to become greedy. No one plans to become greedy. Here's the point. You drift into greed. You drift into greed. Just a slight change in the trajectory of your heart can lead you into greed. In fact, the other day I was reading about something that an Air Force pilot wrote, and he said that for every degree uh, that a plane gets off course, you will end up missing your target, your landing spot, by 92 feet per every mile. So if you strayed just one degree, let's say on a flight from JFK to LAX in Los Angeles, you would wind up 40 miles off pace into the Pacific Ocean. Okay? And here's the thing. The same thing is true of our hearts. If your heart just drifts a little bit away from the things of God and toward greed, you can end up in full-blown materialism. And so you have to guard your heart. Jesus warns more about greed than almost anything else. Why is that? Because it's tricky to know when you're drifting in to greed. It has to do with the condition of your heart. It's not black and white like other sins, like for example, adultery. There's no confusion when you've committed adultery. Oh wait, you're not my wife. <laughs> Hello? Oh, come on, you came to church on a holiday weekend. We're going to have fun in church today. You better perk up a little bit. The thing is, other sins are so black and white, right? But, but, but something like greed has to do with the condition of your heart. Jesus never puts a limit on how many things you can buy, how much you can own, how much money you can spend on yourself. He continually warns us because it has to do with the condition of our hearts. In fact, most people don't think of themselves as greedy because we all compare ourselves to someone else and we all know someone else who has more money than us. In New York, somebody always has more money than you. Oh, don't worry. If you're climbing the ladder a little bit and you're tempted to get impressed with yourself, don't worry. In New York, there's always somebody who has more money than you. <laughs> Promise you. And none of us, none of us, I have never had anyone come to me. And it's amazing. In all my years of pastoring, to say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm struggling with greed. Oh, I've had people come to me to ask for prayer with lust, with unforgiveness. I've had people confess uh, adultery to me. I mean, yeah, some interesting situations. But I have never, isn't that amazing? I have never had anybody ever come to me and confess that they were struggling with greed and, and materialism. Why is that? Because none of us tend to think of ourselves as being greedy. And as we move up the socioeconomic ladder and improve ourselves, we're surrounded with, with people who are like us and people who are just one rung up the ladder from us. And so we compare ourselves to them and the way they spend. And so we never tend to think of ourselves as being greedy. And it could be, the very case could be that we're becoming greedy without even realizing it. And so Jesus says, be on guard. He says to all of us, every person in here, it doesn't matter what socioeconomic bracket you're in. In fact, most of the people Jesus was preaching to, they were poor compared to us wealthy Western people. And Jesus still warns all of us as his followers, be on guard. So you have to become intentional about guarding your heart. 
Just like you might guard your heart from some other unwise decision, from drinking too much or looking at pornography or being unfaithful to your spouse if you're married or slipping into some self-destructive, addictive behavior. We don't tend to think about it this way. We just go shopping and buy stuff and we never tend to think about, I've got to be careful with this like we would with something else. Jesus goes on, are you glad you came to church today? Some of you are like, man, why did I come to church today on this Sunday? Wow. Of all Sundays, I could have been on vacation this weekend. That's okay. Hang in there. It's going to get better. Here's what Jesus goes on to say in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He says, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Your life doesn't consist. Notice Jesus just makes a blanket statement here. He doesn't tell you how much you can spend, how much stuff you can own. He just tells you what the essence of life is. And he says the essence of life is not found in possessions. Like Jesus just speaks reality, the Son of God, the Creator. He just makes an observation about what life consists of and what it doesn't consist of. In the original language, the New Testament was written in Greek. It basically goes something like this. Your life doesn't exist in possessions. The essence of your life as a follower of Jesus is not found in how much stuff you own. That's not where true life is. That's not where eternal life is. And in this one line, Jesus completely challenges the prevailing wisdom of of the culture that we live in as, as Americans because our culture continually preaches the lie to us that the more stuff you have, the happier you're gonna be. We are bombarded with that message in a thousand different directions. In fact, our whole economy is built on this lie that the more stuff you're gonna have, the happier you're gonna be. To your nation, you know what you're most valuable as? Not a citizen, but as a consumer. Do you watch the news? Do you hear the reports in the economy? Like the most important thing that we do is consume because we are fed this lie every day that the more stuff we have, the happier we're going to be. But guess what? We're not happier, are we? Is anybody paying attention? Are you living in the same world I'm living in? We're not happier. In fact, research proves it. Research proves it. I came across a fascinating study uh, that was done back in 2010. Two Princeton University researchers, they analyzed data from over 450,000 responses to a Gallup poll about the connection between money and well-being. So these two researchers, literally they do research on emotional well-being and happiness, okay? Princeton University guys. Here's what they found. Poverty is definitely threatening to one's well-being, okay? Okay. So we're not being naive here. Uh, Nobody says that being poor will make you happy. In fact, poverty, a lack of basic things that you need, will contribute to a lack of well-being. But here's what they found, and this is directly from the report. Emotional well-being rises with income, but there's no further progress beyond an annual income of your, are you ready for it, of $75,000. I know. Just like you, when I heard that, I was like, no way. That can't be true. That can't be true for those of us living here in the New York City area, right? Hello, Pastor Jimmy. Do you know what it costs to live here? Yes, I'm very well aware. And and so here's the interesting thing. The research that was done, over 450,000 responses was done all around the country. This even included people living in major metropolitan large cities like we live in. It's amazing, right? So here's the point. They're not saying that if you're poor, you're happy. What they're saying is poverty does contribute to a lack of well-being. There is some rise. There is some gain in well-being and in happiness as you move into the middle class. But once you get to $75,000, it's the law of diminishing returns. Research shows that once you make much more than that, it's the law of diminishing returns. That true happiness and joy is actually found in other things, not having more money. Things that doesn't mean you're not going to be a little bit happier if you get a raise, but it's just found in other things like relationships, things like that, that really money can't contribute to 
overall happiness. Look it up for yourself. Google it. Some of you don't believe me. Princeton University, I'm just saying. So Jesus gives us a wake-up call, and he says that we have to be intentional about avoiding greed because more stuff doesn't lead to true life. And research even backs Jesus up. Isn't it amazing when our world, our secular world, catches up to what Jesus taught us 2,000 years ago? And so what's the best way to avoid greed? I'm glad you asked. I think we all know the answer. The answer is to practice generosity, to practice generosity. Generosity is the cure for greed. Generosity is what inoculates you from the virus that is so contagious in our culture that is greed. Why is it? Because money can have such a grip on our lives that it controls us. It controls us. It's one thing to have money. The problem is that money eventually will have you. And so the only way to break the power, the grip of the power of money off your life is to give some away. Jesus understood that. Now, do we have any Lord of the Rings fans in the house today? Any Lord of the Rings fans? Okay, how many of you remember this guy? We're going to put his image on the screen, Gollum, okay? I'm not a huge Lord of the Rings fan, okay? But even I remember this. Gollum, before he turned into this hideous creature, he was a hobbit, right? And the hobbits are like cute kind of midget people. They're nice, you know, cute people, nice people. Well, Gollum was a a hobbit, and what happened is he lusted after the ring, the powerful ring, and he killed one of his own relatives to take possession of the ring. And at first, he possessed the ring, and then the ring possessed him. And it caused him to become selfish and evil, and it transformed him into this hideous creature. And the thing is, he needed to give the ring away. What he needed to do to save himself was to give the ring away, but he couldn't do it. If you remember, he couldn't do it, and it destroyed him. He eventually died, but he, was, he fell into the fire along with the ring. And here's the reality. Because we drift into greed naturally, we have to be intentional to break free from it. Jesus calls us to break free and to walk in freedom, but you have to be intentional. And so here's the big idea today, church. You drift into greed, but you decide your way into generosity. The natural drift is toward greed, but you decide your way into generosity. And I believe most of us in here would say that we want to be a generous person. Who in here would say, I want to be known as a generous person? Anybody? Okay, my hand is up. I'm waiting for, okay, I'm going to start. We'll stop and pray right now. I think most of us would say, we want to be a generous person. How many of you here would say, you want to be known as being a stingy, materialistic person? Probably nobody. Thank you. I'm glad you didn't put your hands up, okay? Now, I didn't say how many of you actually are. (laughs) Then we would have to have an altar call, okay? All of us. But we aspire to this. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus to know that generosity is a positive thing. Our culture even, our culture is conflicted, okay? On one end, it preaches to us the more stuff you have, the happier you're going to be. But on the other end, it holds up examples of generosity as a good thing. I think most of us would aspire to be generous. But here's the reality. Good intentions aren't the same thing as actually being generous, Like your wallet, your bank account, your habits, they tell whether or not you're actually generous. And if you think one day you're going to magically become generous, you'll never get there. I know the mindset. Oh, Pastor Jimmy, I'll be generous one day when I get a job. I'll be generous one day when, I'm, when, I, when I pay off these student loans. I'll be generous one day when I get the raise. Here's the thing. If you wait to be generous one day, you'll never get there. You have to start stewarding what you have now. You have to steward what you have now. You have to make the decision to become generous now. You have to take steps to become generous. You need a plan. And for many people, that often requires getting financially healthy. So last week, we talked about that. If you missed the message last week, go back on YouTube, watch it. We had an amazing response. We're going to be rolling out a new Financial Peace University class this summer. We had something like 25 people signed up. We actually had to close the class. So if you're still interested in that, you can go online. 
Go to Next Steps, go to Life Groups, and we'll add you to the wait list. And if anybody drops off, we'll get, let you get into the class. We're going to help some people get financially healthy, okay? We had such an amazing response that, that uh, if, we can't, we, if, we, if we can't get everybody in this summer, then maybe we'll run the class again pretty soon. But for some people, for many people, the next step they need to take to be able to become generous is to get financially healthy. Now, after giving this warning to the man, Jesus then launches into a really eye-opening story known as the parable of the rich fool, okay? Remember, Jesus is the author of this parable, not Pastor Jeremy, all right? Let me read this to you. Luke chapter 12, verse 16 through 21. And then he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Wow. Can you imagine the crowd got quiet like mic drop? Everybody got quiet, right? So Jesus tells this story about a wealthy man called a rich fool who, he's a farmer. He has an amazing crop, an abundant crop, and so much so that he doesn't even know where to store it all. So he tears down his barns, barns he builds bigger ones, and he says, basically, I'm going to kick back and take life easy, and I'm going to enjoy everything that I've prepared for myself. And Jesus says that very night, God comes before him and, and says, you fool, you prepared for yourself, but you didn't make any provisions for the poor. You didn't recognize that I'm the one who blessed you with all of this and you weren't rich toward those who were in need. Now, none of us wants to end up being the rich fool. None of us wants to have a really great life in this life, but not a great life in the afterlife, right? This gets our attention. And so let me just give you a few ideas on how to become intentionally generous. We drift into greed. We have to be intentional about becoming generous. I want to give you three decisions that we can make, and they're inspired from Luke chapter 12. Here's the first one. Decide to embrace godly wisdom about money. You got to decide to embrace godly wisdom about money. So this parable is known as the rich fool, but if we're honest, at first glance for us as modern day people, what he did seems wise to us. He was a really good farmer, he, he, did, he ran his business really well. He had a bumper crop. He stored it. He didn't waste it. He didn't get it illegally. It didn't say he did anything unethical necessarily with his money. He, he was actually wise in the world's eyes. In, in fact, it seems wise in the world's eyes to keep everything that you have to yourself. Think about it. On a basic human level, it seems wise to us. The more we have, the more we can protect ourselves, the more we can put between us and poverty and ruin if anything bad happens to ourselves. On a basic human level, it seems wise to keep everything to yourself, but it's foolish according to God in the economy of heaven. Why is that? That's because God's reality is different than our reality. You see, a fool in the biblical sense, is someone who hates God's definition of reality. If you read the book of Proverbs, which talks so much about wisdom, talks so much about the fool. Fool is a very powerful word in Scripture. It's not just thrown around lightly. A fool is someone who refuses to see life for what it really is. Essentially re refuses to see life as God designed it to be. A fool rejects God's reality. What happened here is that money blinded this man to spiritual reality. It blinded him to spiritual reality. He, he saved and he kept his money all to himself because he believed that all there was was this life. That was the problem. 
He believed all there was was this physical, material world. He was well prepared for this life, but he was ill prepared for the life to come. He saw, he, he saw the world through a, a lens that caused him to become foolish because he didn't recognize spiritual reality. And that's what money tends to do to us. It tends to blind us to spiritual reality because here's the truth. Material possessions won't last. Let me say that again. We know it, but we need to hear it. Like material possessions won't last. Like your house will not last. Your cars will not last. The clothes that you're wearing one day are going to end up in, in, a, in, a, in a landfill somewhere. They're going to get burned up. They will not last. In the new heavens, in the new earth that is to come, everything we own won't last. But investing in people, investing in the things that God cares about, investing in God's kingdom, that will always last. And I'm not picking on you today. I am up here preaching to myself. I'm preaching to myself. Sometimes, you know, I get, I get caught up in my own stuff. You know, a few years ago, we bought our house. We bought a good old Westchester fixer-upper. We've been doing a lot of fixer-uppering the last few years, you know. There's always something to be maintained. I'm doing a renovation right now in a bathroom at my house because we had a leak and had to rip out the whole bathroom. And, and so we've been investing money in caring for our home and maintaining our house. And sometimes I can get preoccupied with that. If you're a homeowner, I think you'll, you know what I mean. Sometimes I can get really kind of fixated on that. And every now and then the Holy Spirit gives me these little reminders, like reminding me, Jeremy, you're not going to own this house forever. Don't get too preoccupied with this. I didn't call you to Westchester to build your house. I called you to Westchester to build my house. And one of those is going to last. One of those isn't going to last. And one of those is. The people who owned my house before me had it for like 40 years. And then we bought it and we undid everything we did and made it our own. And guess what? The same thing's going to happen to us one day. We got to wake up, right? When you invest in the things of the kingdom of God, that's what's going to last. And so the world says store up. Jesus says to empty our barns and give to those in need. Invest in eternity. Like we have to embrace God's wisdom about the, uh, over the prevailing wisdom of our culture. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't save. I'm not saying you shouldn't plan for retirement. We talked about that last week. But here's the thing. We all make plans for, hopefully you're making plans for your retirement. What Jesus is saying is you need to have a plan for generosity as well. Don't just plan for this life. Plan for the life that is to come, invest in eternity. Here's the second thing. Number two, talking about being intentional, about being generous. Number two, decide to be rich toward God. Decide to be rich toward God. Look at this, verse 21. Jesus said this, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be rich toward God? Like he's God, he has everything. What does God need? To be rich toward God is to invest in what God cares about. And what does God primarily care about? He cares about human beings who are made in his image, particularly the poor, the needy, the broken, those who, who are in need. In fact, Jesus tells another parable in Matthew chapter 25. It's known as the parable of the sheep and the goats. And it's kind of a judgment day parable where the king divides the sheep and the goats. And the sheep get to go to heaven and the goats get to go to the place where nobody wants to go, okay? And so the king represents God. And the criteria for judgment is really fascinating. The criteria is how the sheep and the goats treated the poor. And Jesus says, whenever you did for, whatever you did for the least of these, 
right? Whenever you fed the hungry, whenever you gave drink to the thirsty, whenever you clothed the naked, whenever you cared for the sick, he said, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did for me. By caring for those in need, you were rich toward me. That's what it means to be rich toward God. The rich man's money wasn't his problem. Jesus never said that, that money was the root of all evil. What did he say? The love of money is the root of all evil. Jesus understands we all need some money. We all got bills to pay, right? Like nobody gave me a free house or a free car just because I'm a pastor. Like, right? Like I have to pay bills like you. We all need money. We all need finances. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. And so the problem with this man in the parable is that he missed the point of why God had blessed him with money. He was rich toward himself, but he wasn't rich toward others. See, God has entrusted us with a certain amount of wealth, every one of us, so that his blessing can flow through us to others. That is the great joy of being a Christian. I want you to get this. The problem for us is we're tempted to make God's blessing in our lives a swamp rather than a river. Track with me for a moment here. When we accumulate and we keep everything to ourselves, it becomes like a swamp. I'm from Louisiana. I know a thing or two about swamps, okay? Swamps are a place where water has nowhere to go. Water collects there. It gets stagnant. It gets full of algae. Swamps are not a good source of drinking water. You don't want to swim in a swamp. You might get eaten by an alligator or something like that. Okay? But a river is fresh because why? It's flowing. A river is a good source of drinking water. A river is a great place for recreation. If a river is not too deep, if it's shallow enough, you might even want to swim in a river and be refreshed by it. Why? Because it's flowing. We've got to start seeing God's blessing in our lives as a divine flow. He gave it to you to put it through you to bless someone else. We're meant to be conduits, not containers. (laughs) That's the problem. We become containers like our culture. Our culture says the more stuff you have, the more stuff you accumulate, the happier you're going to be. But Jesus understands as we accumulate, we become stagnant. He entrusted it to you so that a portion of it could flow through you to bless the world in need. And so we got to begin to see God's blessing as a divine flow in our lives. we got to see things from God's perspective. we got to be rich toward God. And then here's the third thing. you got to decide to trust God. This is, one of the, this is kind of the secret sauce to becoming generous. It's really about how you trust God. Later on in chapter 12, here's what Jesus says after he tells this parable, verses 22 and 20, through 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or born, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, Why do you worry about the rest? Come on, think about how much our lives are filled with worry and anxiety, how much we stress about money. Jesus says you got to stop worrying about those things. you got to learn to trust that your God is a good and loving Heavenly Father. You see, the way we handle money reveals whether or not we trust God. Not your words, but your wallet. It's easy in church to sing songs of trusting God and amen, you know, messages about trusting God. But Jesus said, you want to know if you really trust God or not? Pay attention to how you handle your finances. And think about this. Why don't we give more? We don't give more. We're often not generous, not only in the offering at church, but to other people around us in need. Why? Because we're scared. 
We have a lack of faith. We believe that the basic human level, the more I give to others, the less I'm going to have. We don't really trust that God is our provider and that we're living in the divine flow of his blessing. If we really believe that, it would change our attitude toward, toward generosity. The problem is we tend to trust in money. And so let me tell you something really powerful. This is why when you give, even just a little amount, if you just start somewhere, that's why I always say this during the offering moment, if you're not a giver, just start somewhere. Here's why it's so powerful. It begins to activate your faith. Listen to me and lean, lean in for a moment here, church. It begins to activate your faith. It's an extraordinary step toward trusting God. Uh, it, that's, that's why so many people who are generous have such a strong faith. If you're a giver in the house at any amount, you've found this to be true in your life. There's something amazing about when you start giving to the kingdom of God, how it activates your faith, how it causes you to trust God like never before. You really begin to get a sense like, God, you actually are my, my provider. And so this is why it's, it's so powerful. People who are generous have great faith because they've learned to trust God and it brings a sense of contentment, a divine sense of contentment. And this is why compared to most of the world, you and me, we're rich. Every person in this place, don't think someone else in here is rich compared to most of the world. You and I, as Western people living in the United States of America, we're, we're rich and yet we're so often stressed out about money. Why? Because we lack contentment, because we don't really trust God. Let me tell you, I've been to nations where people had nothing, but they worship like they had everything. They live with simplicity and gratitude. And some days when I'm ungrateful, and some days when I'm complaining, and some days when I'm comparing myself to other people, every now and then God takes me back and reminds me of this. He reminds me of this. Earlier in the year, I was in Honduras with some of our staff. We went down to meet some of the children and the staff of a really wonderful ministry called One Child. Several people in our church sponsor have a sponsored child through One Child. We're sponsoring about 80 kids down in Honduras, helping get release kids from poverty. And uh, we did a neighborhood visit where we left one of the Hope Centers and we went to go visit a family. And we went to go visit the home of a grandmother, little abuela, who was taking care of her, her grandson. His dad was out working. His mother had left him, abandoned them when he was a child. And his father was working hard to take care of his son. And, and grandma was there watching her grandson. And I'm telling you, we walked into this house that was about the size of my kitchen. And I don't have a big kitchen if you've ever been to my house. This woman's whole house was about the size of my kitchen. It was built out of scrap plywood. Scrap plywood, dirt floor. The electrical work in our house was an absolute fire hazard. The fact that somebody was charging this woman rent for this house was an injustice. And she told us that she only had running water a couple days a week. And here we are looking at this woman's house, thinking how she had nothing. And she began to tell us how thankful she was for what she had. She began to tell us in Spanish and through the translator that she was thankful that God made a way for them to have a roof over their head, that God made a way for them to pay rent. And I'll tell you, every American standing huddled together in that little room, every one of us was completely convicted in that moment because here was this woman who had nothing compared to us and yet she had a divine sense of contentment. Why? Because her trust was in God. She didn't say her life was easy. She recognized she had some challenges, but she had a divine sense of contentment. Why? Because her trust was in 
God. Church, here's what I want you to understand today. I want something for you, not from you. I want you to live in freedom. I want you to live a life that is more worry-free, more stress-free. I want you to to break free from this line that the more stuff you have, the happier you're going to be. I want you to to live in the goodness of God. I want you to to live in the reality of of God's grace, to walk in, in gratitude for what you have, recognizing that most of us already have more than enough, more than we could ever need, and to live with a sense of of divine contentment. For some of you, I want you to discover the joy of generosity. You have not yet discovered the joy of giving, the joy of allowing God's blessing to flow through your life to bless someone else. I want you to, to experience the joy of being a river and not a swamp. Let me tell you something. There's nothing like seeing God work through your life. There's nothing like seeing the hand of God work through your life to know that you were the answer to someone's prayer. If you've never experienced that before, I I want that for you. Jesus said in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Our culture tells us in a thousand different ways that it's the opposite. The more stuff you have, the more you receive, the more blessed you are. Jesus comes along and he flips that upside down and he says, no, let me tell you what real reality is. Let me reframe reframe it for you. You're actually more blessed when you give than when you receive. And I've found this to be true in my life. I need to be reminded of it quite often. You know, I can't remember what I got for Christmas last year. Really, I can't even remember what I got for Christmas last year, but I can remember what we gave as a church. I can remember rescuing 15 kids out of sex trafficking. I can remember buying Spanish equipment so that people in our second service can come and hear the message in Espanol. Gloria a Dios. (laughs) Amen. I can remember... I can remember sending food and medicine and clothes and generators to people on the very front lines in Ukraine who have had everything taken from them in this terrible war and providing transportation for children, disabled children, to leave Ukraine and go to the Czech Republic to be cared for. I can remember that. Church, that's what we get to do. That's, that's the blessing of God. Jesus says that is the essence of eternal life. What happens every Sunday is you and I have an opportunity. If you don't know where to start, and I'm not saying that the offering is the only place. Like there's, there's opportunities for generosity in your own family, people around you, with your time, with your talents, with your money, with things you can give away. Probably most of us have something in our garage right now that we need to give to somebody else. There's an application point for you right there. Let's have fun. Come on. Let's all find something this week in our house, a few things, and give them away to someone in need. But let me tell you, every week in the offering, if you don't know what we do with the offering besides paying our own bills, keeping the lights on here, paying our staff, okay, we give a portion of that to a a lot of different great missions organizations. We're feeding hungry people in need right here in Porchester. We're planting life-giving churches all around the world. We're responding to natural disasters. We're we're taking care of kids right now. We're building classrooms right now down in Honduras for, for these kids. We get to do that. That, Jesus says, that is the essence of true eternal life. You're more blessed to give than to receive. And so let me leave you with this quote from the great Tim Keller, who recently passed away, one of the greatest pastors of our generation from right here in New York City. He said, the reality of God's generosity toward us will never hit home until the, uh, will never hit home until the world sees our generosity to everybody else. The world will take notice. 
the world will sit up and see our witness. The reality of God's generosity toward us will never hit home until the world sees our generosity to other people in need. Here's the point. When we're generous, when Christians are generous, people take note. I believe the church of Jesus Christ, as Christians, we should be known for being the most loving, generous people on the planet. That should be our reputation. That If people don't know anything else, if they don't agree with us, if they don't believe Jesus is the Son of God, they don't have the same values we have. At least if nothing else, we should be known as being the most loving, generous people on the planet. The very first Christians embraced this and the world took note and they turned the world upside down. And you and I have the opportunity to live in that reality. Jesus is calling us to this. He's calling us to this. He's warning us. He's waking us up today. So would you stand with me today and we're gonna pray together. We're gonna pray and ask God to help us with this because we need the grace of God, don't we? We need the grace of God. Come on, let's invite Him to do a work in our hearts. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to do a work in our hearts. Lord, today we thank You for Your Word. Jesus, we thank You for speaking directly into our hearts today. Lord, we thank You that You take Your Word and You breathe on it and You make it come alive to us today. And Lord, today we receive this warning today and we're asking You to set us free from greed. Set us free from the lie that the more stuff we have, the happier we're going to be. Lord, right now we are asking You to unclog our hearts spiritually. Unclog our hearts spiritually from greed, from this lie that the more stuff we have, the happier we're going to be when we already have more than enough. Lord, today we want to worry less as your children. We want to embrace you as a loving heavenly father. We want to let go of stress. We want to love and trust you more. We want to live with gratitude. We want to live with a sense of divine contentment. We want more peace in our lives. And we recognize that running after all of these things, like our culture, it's not producing peace in us. And Lord, today, we're asking you to help us to be rich toward you. Jesus, you called us to be rich toward our loving heavenly Father. And we wanna do that. We wanna be generous people. We wanna be rivers, not swamps. We, don't, we wanna be conduits, not containers. We, wanna, we want the, the blessing that you've given to us to overflow from our lives into the lives of those in need. We don't want to just invest in the present, but we want to be those who plan well for the life that is to come. When we stand before you, God, one day, we can say, God, we invested in eternity. We invested in your kingdom. We invested in the things that you care about. Father, we're praying, make us those kind of people. Come on, somebody needs to make that personal today. Jesus, make me that kind of person. We thank you for it. And we bless your name in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.